This is Download from Relay FM, recorded Thursday, August 3rd, 2017, episode number 15, Taken Behind the Shed. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host. This week, I'm joined by two wonderful guests. Florence Ion of the Material and All About Android podcast is back with us. Hi, Flo. Hi. Good morning here in the West Coast, for those of us. We we are recording this in the morning. We're waking up. (laughs) we're We're getting it together. On the East Coast, Man About Town... In if the town is in New Jersey, writer, independent analyst Michael Gartenberg returns to the podcast too. Hello, hi, thanks for having me, Jason, and hi, Flo. Let's uh, do this. Y'all I love right. New Jersey, by the way. It's just I love it as a state. Come out, you come out and visit anytime. I'll bring you best coffee and bagels. I have been driven around New Jersey in a car by Michael Gartenberg. And let me tell you, like, I really just wanted the Sopranos music to play, but it was awesome. (laughs) I I did not give Jason the Sopranos tour, but honestly, I have given the Sopranos (laughs) tour for any number of visitors, including music on the playing back in the background. It's a lot of fun. I had no doubt. Um, So we are going to talk about the most interesting stories of the week as chosen by the secret uh, download star chamber. That's me and Stephen Hackett, the download podcast producer. Hi, Stephen. Am I a secret? I don't don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's our star chamber that's a secret, but I just told people about it. So that's ruined. We have to move it again. Everything is ruined. Uh, Let's move on to topic number one Um, with both of my guests here, too, especially I want to talk about phones. Phones, phones, phones. There's so much going on in phones. Or should I say, there's so much that is rumored to be going on in phones. Because this week, we got a better idea about two hotly anticipated devices. Apple seems to have inadvertently leaked information itself about the next iPhone. We also seem to have gotten the final specs of the Samsung Galaxy Note 8, too. Let's start with the iPhone, the HomePod firmware, of all things, which is apparently going into employee testing. They posted it on a public server. People took it apart, because that's what people do. It seems to have confirmed infrared face recognition on the new iPhone, as well as a high-resolution screen without any buttons on the face. I'm just curious, uh, you know, basically we're commenting on products that don't exist yet. It's a little bit unicorny, but hey, it was in the firmware. Um, Michael Gardenberg, now I should say disclosure, you worked at Apple for a little while. What do you think about the information that we got out of this, uh, about this new phone, the, the buttonless front and the infrared face recognition? Well, the first thing I'll say is forget about leaving an iPhone in a bar. Whoever put this on a public server with all of the full OS information in there. Um, because listeners know sometimes, like when Apple is releasing these beta things, they keep the stuff that's related to future products out of there. Um, so this was a major, major mess up. There's no way this was even an intentional leak. And someone really was taking out to the courtyard behind uh, Infinite Loop. Um, <laughs> oh, no. We're back up, to the Sopranos blind, now. No, blind, no. Blind, <laughs> blindfolded, given a cigarette. <laughs> and, you know, led by Phil. Um, yeah, so this is legit. This isn't rumors anymore. This isn't Mark Gurman. This isn't, you know, Digitimes. Um, this is real. This is legit. It came directly from Apple servers. And, of course, um, this being the age of that, once the stuff leaks, it's out there. And, of course, we had some really great intrepid folks ripping it apart. So I'm going with everything that was in there is legit. It's subject to interpretation. Um, 
but it is legit. And it seems like a lot of the rumors are out there. Bezelless iPhone, um, possibly some, you know, eye tracking things to replace touch ID, um, and a couple of other little goodies that were in there. So I think we've gotten a pretty good look. Um, I think we've all been in agreement that it's likely we're going to see some sort of 7S and 7S Plus and then, you know, a mysterious unicorn iPhone that we've all suspected. Well, now we have a pretty good idea of what that unicorn iPhone is going to look like. And I think the question is going to be that people are waiting for is, you know, what's it going to be priced at? And will there be any availability at launch? Is this going to be one of those? We're showing it to you and it'll be available sometime later this fall. What do you think the price is going to be? What, 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 what would be your guess if you were handicapping what this kind of what this kind of product would be priced at? What would be Apple's plan here? If the product is going to be heavily constrained, and I think it is, um, that we're going to see a fairly high price point. Um, we're going to see a base model at $999, and then we're going to see the model that everyone wants. Um, that's going to come in well over $1,000. And the idea is the price will help to scare some people away. Um, you know, remember, Apple's taken just a lot of hits because they can't ship AirPods. Um, if you look at the Apple app, as I just did beforehand, there's still a six-week wake on what is, you know, in theory, a, a fairly minor accessory. Um, a major iPhone, you know, refresh that, you know, later this fall, in theory, Apple would want to get this into stores no later than, you know, sometime in early November um, to catch holiday sales. This could also be, um, you know, if you remember when the Mac Pro was first released and, you know, we said that time, it'll be out there before the end of 2013. And I think we shipped one on December 24th. <laughs> Uh, I, I, that's great. I, you make me feel good about it. I, I did the math about like what it would be priced at. And I did the, well, if you add $130 on from the plus you get to about, uh, eight twenty or something like that. And I, and I thought, so it'll be nine ninety nine because again the rule with Apple is think what you think it should be priced and then raise the price and then you probably got the price so nine ninety nine right. that's exactly what I was thinking too. Um, right. My, and my guess is that'll be a one twenty eight gigabyte model. We're not going to see any sixteen gigabyte things here. Um, yeah, maybe a sixty, maybe sixty four, but probably yeah, in there. I'm thinking I'm thinking one twenty eight to justify that price point and you know two fifty six. Although again, depending on availability and constraint, a lot of times these things are tweaked at the last minute because you want to perhaps create some aspiration for buyers um, and drive them back to a 7S or 7S Plus and not have to worry about shipping. The other prediction I'm going to make, and I think this one's going to be really accurate, is this will only be available in store. No pre-orders, um, nothing online. And the reason is simple. On the 10th anniversary, Apple is going to want the visual optics of people standing in line, waiting around the block, getting there three days early, um, something we haven't seen in quite a while because of things like pre-orders. Um, I think that uh, Apple is going to want that particular optic. It generates news. It generates hype. Um, it gets people psyched up because no matter what they price at, there's still going to be you know people willing to stand online around the block. And that is an optic that I have no doubt that Apple is going to want. And in fact, frankly, is going to do everything they can to make sure it happens. 
Flo, what do you think of the um, face recognition thing? I know that some Android phones have tried versions of this, and there were all those stories about like a, a paper cutout takes. The, <laughs> you know, is is this and the lesson from Android seems to be it's harder than it looks. Is that am I accurate in thinking that? Well, I mean, on the Galaxy S8, for instance, and actually also the Note Seven, which is where it originally debuted on the Samsung phones. I actually I liked the way it worked. I liked the implementation, uh, but I don't I don't use it on a daily basis because it's so out of my ordinary uh, routine of doing things with my phone. I mean, my routine is touching a fingerprint to unlock everything or putting in a pattern, which is something that you have to do on Android, for instance, like uh, when you restart the phone uh, for security measure measures. But I have to say that as I was sort of like mulling through this information about what might be coming with the iPhone, I got I get really excited when I hear about these Android things uh, arriving to or things that were existing on Android arriving to the iPhone because I feel like that's when that technology is finally going to become like it's finally going to take off because more people are going to catch on to it and ultimately that's going to be good. <laughs> for for me and my android friends because <laughs> you know then it'll maybe inspire other people to to check out android well and for the 10 people using windows phones yes um as well as just a windows pc um windows hello works really really well to the point where i don't uh well there's no you know, fingerprint, but I never bother even thinking about using a passcode or anything else because as soon as I open um, the laptop, as soon as I turn on the phone, um, it is so quick that sometimes I wonder, like, did it actually do anything? What's interesting is I'm wondering if it's going to come with a caveat. Um, My Motorola Z Plus has a little thing in there that says, if you're using fingerprints, realize they're not is secure as other things because someone could cut off your thumb and use it or take a you know fingerprint and use it. So I'm just wondering if these things are going to come with some sort of caveat that says, by the way, um, if someone takes your picture and holds it up, they might be able to um, you know get into your phone. It's not quite the same thing. Um, but I can tell you that it can work because this is one of those things that Microsoft, at least on their devices, has really nailed it. And I can only imagine that Apple is going to take it one step better because from an Apple perspective, if you're going to anything like face recognition, particularly for things like, um, you know, payments, it has to work flawlessly. It has to work 100% of the time. It has to work in low light. It has to work when I'm not looking directly at the phone. But if there's any company that could take this to the next level, um, I have no doubt it's Apple. I'm really going to be curious about the way that they they implement this because on the Galaxy S8, for instance, you do kind of have to hold it out. You have to hold out the phone a certain uh, way, a certain, you have to orient it a certain way so that it can capture your face. And like the example that you were using, I'm assuming is for like a, like a desktop computer or a laptop. And, you know, when the computer's on the desk, I mean, it's just nice and stationary. But I think that's the other reason that I don't really use it on the Samsung phones is because uh, I have to hold out the phone in in this really unorganic manner. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not usually holding my phone out, craning my (laughs) 
arm to try and <laughs> capture my face. So at the risk of sounding like a Microsoft fanboy, because um, the 11th person that uses it, um, it works great on Surface, no matter how you're holding the tablet. And on the 950 XL, um, you just take it out of your pocket. doesn't matter how you're looking at it, where you're looking at it. Um, even in fairly low light, it just works. Um, and that to me was kind of surprising because the Android folks had never quite nailed it. No. Um, the Nokia <laughs> folks back in the day never quite nailed it. It was one of those, you know, dubious features that, you know, you might try and use, but you gave up. Um, so if they can at least hit Microsoft accuracy, that would be pretty great. Um, but I suspect that that's not going to be good enough for Apple. So if we see something like this, it's going to be the type of thing where we're just going to say, wow, um, this thing is, you know, utterly amazing, surprise and delight. We won't mind if this is now a key way for dealing with Touch ID and Apple Pay um, because it's going to be that good. And, you know, I'd expect a whole bunch of like really super cool, uh, you know, uh, Phil Schiller demos about this. But it does seem like that's the direction that Apple is moving in. Although, again, we might see this, you know, touch ID sensor in the back of the phone um, just for, you know, legacy stuff. But it's the same way that Apple used to talk about, you know, dial pads as sort of a legacy for making phone calls. This is going to be like sort of a legacy for using touch ID. It really does seem like this is not one of those features that uh, you can release in beta and have it work okay. Like they have to nail this a hundred percent. This is the the bar is very high for this. So, I, when after this leak, that was my thought: is I guess they nailed it because there's no way they're going to ship this phone and have some sort of janky half working face unlock right it's I just bet, yeah i can't imagine yeah. that it's too important that, i mean like don't ship the phone if you can't get it to work <laughs> no and even like things like the you know seven plus portrait mode which you know was sort of in in beta right it still worked really 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 well it could have easily simply been shipped as you know the final release um but that's sort of apple um you know uh, under promise uh over deliver and something this important in fact if anything might hold up you know the phone it might be the difficulty of having this work from a manufacturing perspective um and simply saying we can't build enough of this fairly sophisticated thing as fast as we'd like but right whatever that phone is um whether it's you know iphone 10 iphone x iphone you know um, pro uh, though it's hard to imagine someone buying a pro phone like i'm i'm a real i'm, I'm a a really phone. power uh, right i'm a power user i want to use this because i'm a pro i'm a phone like, professional you know, Mac, i'm pro right, at phoning. Ma- macbook pro uh, you know. well i am a phone professional yeah actually. see that's the, see <laughs> see yeah it's just, that Aren't just seems all? to hit a, a certain degree of i don't know snobbery that i <laughs> just you know ipad pro you know macbook pro you know these are for like the real high-end users well i'm a super high-end phone user i'm like wow that's like you've like hit it like utterly like pretentious um and yet but maybe that's yes. the world we live in i before we move on and talk about uh about samsung i wanted to ask uh, especially since you worked at apple michael um do these leaks really hurt? Like, do, does the presence, do we know going into an event, does it does it really in the end hurt Apple or does it just make people sad? Um, it frustrates people 
incredibly so, um, particularly because there's no control over hardware leaks that come from the supply chain. Um, you know, one of the reasons that there is so many leaks coming from China, and I never realized this. Um, I thought about it, like, you know, like what's the deal with the leaks? You know, bloggers want it and, you know, folks want it. It's the case makers that are paying huge bounties um, for anything that comes out with dimensions because they want to have the case on the shelf the day of launch because there's almost a perfect one-to-one purchase um, with being first. And these guys will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to whoever can sneak them out, you know, just the back plate, something with the actual dimensions. And that's where the leaks come from. And then to go from there. If you notice, we don't usually get a whole lot of software leaks from Apple because all the software's done, you know, um, in Cupertino. So this one was huge. Um, I know that in general, leaks drive people absolutely crazy. It ruins the whole surprise and delight um, that they like to do. And, you know, and, and people really get angry. I know for a period of time when I was there, um, there was a lot of effort trying to figure out who on earth was talking to Mark Ehrman. Um, because it was driving people nuts. And a leak like this, I have to believe that, you know, the senior staff just went ballistic because this is about the single last thing they want, particularly in this period of time, because it totally ruins the surprise. Um, I don't think it ruins sales. I don't think there's a worry about ruining sales, but it's an issue of pride. It's an issue of you've, you've kind of taken away our thunder a little bit because people are just sort of, you know, waiting for it. And then, of course, the downside is if, you know, there's stuff in that, you know, release that might just not have made it in the phone. Sometimes there's stuff that still sits um, in the code base that's simply just not enabled. Uh, for example, the one-handed, um, you know, keyboard that we've seen in iOS 11 for phones, um, that was originally supposed to be in iOS 9, and it just got cut. Um, because it didn't work quite right, and there were other things that were more important. But if you looked in the code base, you could find it. So there might very well be things in that release that don't make it, but then that frustrates Apple even more because people are saying, like, you know, where is? Like, for example, if for whatever reason there's no facial recognition, which I think we're all kind of, you know, accepting right now is like, okay, this is going to happen. If for some reason that doesn't happen, the first thing every, you know, journalist and analyst is going to say, where did it go? And it's like, well, we never promised it. And like, hold on. Um, this wasn't a case of, you know, you, you, you know, you didn't ship and it was late, but you never said that. It's like, hey, we have, like, what do these things mean <laughs> if they're in here? And why aren't they part of this? And that really drives people insane because suddenly it puts Apple on the defensive when they're talking to these people. Um, and like I said, the supply chain stuff, you can't really control. Um, you also have vendors like doing screens that, you know, want to release and say, we're doing the screens because it boosts their stock price. Um, but a software leak of this magnitude um, is astounding. In fact, my, my first thought was, wow, I can't believe Apple put this out there. This is like a totally different Apple. They're, they're putting this out there so developers can take a look at what's in there and start planning ahead, um, even without the hardware. And obviously, of course, they yanked it so quickly that, um, you know, obviously it wasn't meant to be out there. And I'll also say sometimes vendors do things like intentionally leak stuff to 
certain people they know who will repeat it um, because perhaps they want to, you know, tamp down expectations <laughs> or they want to, you know, uh, raise expectations. You know, if if things are starting to get out of hand and, you know, um, it's like there's going to be a super holographic display um, in this iPhone that, you know, can fold up into a pocket square and, and come out. Um, that's a point where we might see an intentional leak to a couple of select people to simply say, yeah, that's not going to happen. Don't look for that. So expectations are down there. Um, this one is really interesting. There's been utter silence officially from Cupertino, not even, you know, whispers. Um, and um, I, I can't even imagine the reaction in at least Phil's staff meeting, um, which all the VPs of everything report into him at those meetings. And I, I can't imagine him not have gone utterly ballistic <laughs> and and. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, seriously, you never want to see Phil angry. You never want to be in a room where Phil's angry. <laughs> I, um, I have. It's a long story. Um, it's bad. It's, it's, it's not great. bad. You, you, it's it, been you a long time. Life. It's been a long time, but uh, it's not great. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about Samsung, but let me tell you about our sp- first sponsor first before we get there. Text Expander is our sponsor. Our friends at Smile are bringing this episode of Download to you. You can communicate smarter with Text Expander. Use Text Expander to power through repetitive communication by standardizing and improving those written replies you send every day. With Text Expander, you can recall your best and most frequently used words by creating a keyboard shortcut and letting Text Expander pull in the phrase you need. Set up a snippet for your email sign-off and introductory greeting you use when you speak to somebody new. Maybe a fillable template to take notes in a meeting. Uh, that's not all. They can uh, You can use Text Expander to format dates, autocorrect spelling, even search your team's collected knowledge with a few letters and a hotkey. You can collaborate more efficiently in tools like Slack with text snippets. Automatically press the tab key for you in web browser and email so your workflows move even quicker. It can even make it easy for you to create text snippets within your own web browser. So we even use Text Expander to send emails to our uh, panelists on the show, right, Stephen Hackett? We uh, we most definitely do, Jason. I saw I saw one of those just the other day. Anyway, if you spend any amount of your day typing, you should try Text Expander. You can get it free for thirty days. It's on Mac, iPad, iPhone, and Windows. Windows, go to textexpander.com slash download FM to start your free trial today. Thank you to Text Expander for their support of download. All right. So the Galaxy Note 8 final specs, it's not quite the same, but it sounds like final specs are uh, are, are leaking out there. And there's a Samsung event August 23rd in New York City. Uh, Flo, what do, you, what do you think about the, the Note 8? This is a really interesting product because obviously the Note 7 actually got a lot of acclaim and then there was a disaster. And now this is the next swing for the, for the Note line. What do you think about... Um, about what the Note 8 is going to do? Well, first off, I am excited to see... (laughs) I am excited to see this little phablet come back. Um, What happened last year was a total bummer because that was a really great phone. I think that was the first time in a while that uh, all of us Android-y press people were like, man, this is a really good phone. Uh, Everyone just sort of collectively agreed and... 
we kind of saw a little bit of that reprise in the Galaxy S8. Uh, and the Note 8, I mean, it's it's going to be basically a bigger version of the Galaxy S8. I mean, you're having, there's very similar specs, uh, you know, same sizes, or, or not same sizes, actually, 6.3-inch Super AMOLED displays. So you're still going to get that great, you know, vibrant screen that comes with every Samsung phone. Um, large, slightly larger battery, uh Interesting screen resolution, so it's still going to have the 18.5 by 9 aspect ratio. Uh, another thing that's going to have that its predecessors didn't have is this dual camera. So this is the thing that I'm just sort of curious about because I I know about kind of the other features that Samsung introduced uh, earlier this year with the Galaxy S8, but this dual camera, I mean, that's like a trend that's just been building around the rest of the smartphone industry. So I'm very curious to see what Samsung's implementation is going to be. And also, I just... I mean, I I have to tell you guys, I love the S Pen. I use it daily (laughs) on the Galaxy Tab S3. Um, it's, It's great. It's great in this implementation, although I don't know how many people use it, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's a very small screen for for the S Pen, but nonetheless, it is interesting. So I don't know. I mean, it's I'm very curious what the narrative is going to be around this, especially from Samsung fans and just people who use Android, because I mean... People were really bummed when everything happened with the Note Seven. So this is this is kind of this is kind of the comeback kid, really. If you think about it, <laughs> do you think it's is it, it, it what? Take me into the minds of of uh, of people who are thinking about this phone. Like you are, you're very excited because it's sad that the other one, you know, that it went away. Yeah. Uh, what What do you think? Are people more likely to be excited that finally the Galaxy Note is available again, or are they going to be? Tre- is there going to be trepidation about? Uh, given what happened. Is that going to hang over this product or is it not going to matter? I don't think so because the Galaxy S8 did pretty well and people were very interested in that. You know, the marketing for that was really, it it was good. It worked. Um, The thing about the Note series is that because it comes out during the summertime, it's not like the Primo flagship, kind of like the Galaxy S8 is. It's not, you know, it is a marquee device, but it's not like the most important seller. If anything, it is what sort of gives us a glimpse into what the next flagship series is going to be about. And I think the one thing from this is that dual cameras, you know, I, I think the dual camera... Basically, it just looks as if Samsung is going about business as usual. And for those of us who enjoy their phones, I mean, people are still looking forward to it. A lot of people wait for this phone before they upgrade their Samsung phone because this phone is just it's it's the thing to look forward to in the summer. Well, I, I'll agree with you. I think the 7, um, having used one for a while before Samsung's had sent it back before it blows up, um, was a fantastic phone. It, it arguably could have given um, the iPhone 7 uh, Plus a real run for the money. Um, I'm sure there was quiet laughter at Phil's staff meeting when all this stuff happened. Um, and, you know, Apple just kind of kept quiet about it and just let Samsung handle it. I think there's no issue um, in terms of recovery. And you don't look at the you know the Tylenol scandal back then when people were actually dying, and because they took Tylenol and they were able to come back with that brand, and 
before the S8, I don't know if anyone else noticed, but Samsung ran a ton of commercials in primetime talking about their batteries and their, you know, how they're tested and how good they are. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, I still got on an airplane not long ago and they were still talking about if you have one of those Samsung, you know, Note 7 devices, get off the plane right now. So never a good thing, but I think they can come back. Um, Flo, I agree with you about the S Pen and I carried a six around for a very long time. S Pen is super useful. It's so um, great. <laughs> it's one of those things that you go, wow, I didn't know I needed it because it really becomes that sketch pad, that moleskin. Um, it works really, really well. In fact, it makes me wonder if we are going to see in one of these devices in the fall um, support for Apple Pencil, but that would be a little awkward because it's big, but perhaps, you know, Apple Pencil stub, something, you know, more <laughs> along the line of an S Pen that would, you know, be optimized for notes and things like that. Because I know any number of people who love Pencil on their, you know, iPad Pros saying, wow, if this was on my phone, particularly the plus, yeah, this would be say. like this would be like the ultimate again, you know, moleskin replacement. Um, it would tie into all my other devices and, you know, I could use my pencil if I want, but they would obviously come up with an alternate and hopefully a way to actually, you know, connect it to the device. Um, so it would not surprise me that if we saw something in the phone equivalent to S Pen and some real clever marketing speak as to why um, a stylus on a phone was now a good idea. <laughs> um, I mean, a little harder story to tell than it was for um, the iPad Pro and Pencil. But I would not be surprised if people with the technologies there, there's absolutely no reason they couldn't implement it um, on the phone. It's another reason to distinguish the larger phones from the smaller phones. And um, I think we're also going to see a much bigger marketing approach from Samsung about the pen and about the stylus. I suspect they're probably thinking the same thing I am. And they're going to want to get the benefits of their stuff out there um, just in case Apple decides to do something. It is a huge differentiator. And assuming these things don't go up in flames, um, this thing could give a fall iPad to run for the money. Because remember, Samsung is ruthless when it comes to marketing. Um, for those of you who don't know, Samsung pays for things like end caps. End caps are the end of a display when you walk into a phone store. Samsung pays for that position. Um, Samsung pays reps um, for selling. Whoever sells the most, you know, Samsung phones gets to go on, you know, a free vacation. And by the way, at least they used to do this as of two years ago. Um, and of course, that's something Apple would never do. And they they also, do this in in uh, salons too, by the way. Sorry, it's just such a common practice to have like the company come in and incentivize the employee base and say, "Sell this product, even though you're working for this other place." Sorry, right? No, it's true. And Apple and Apple has absolutely will never do that. And it's the same way that we're already seeing the S8 down to you know you can get you know an S8 and you can get another one for a penny. It was um, five fifty on uh, July thirty first, so uh, an unlocked version of the Galaxy S8. It was only like five hundred fifty bucks, which is a lot lower than the Moto Z two that was announced this week. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if, if you're if you're buying an Android phone, to me, the only choices you have are an S eight or the one that I'm using, which is a Motorola um, Z Plus, which has 
the most fantastic battery life out of any phone I have ever used. I can easily get through two days of use without recharging. And if I add just a small, thin, you know, rechargeable battery pack, like from Tumi, oddly they're branded, um, I can get three or four days. And, you know, the most important feature on any phone is battery, because if your battery dies, nothing else matters. Um, No need to, you know, charge, no need to, like, top off. Um, It is fantastic. It's a low-end phone. Features won't, you know, um, drive anyone, you know, mad. It's not a gaming phone. When it comes to battery life, it's fantastic. So that's one phone I recommend. It's cheap. Otherwise, you go with the S8. Um, and you're going to be really, really happy. It's a great phone. It's It's got really cool features. It's got beautiful design. Um, and we'll see if that gives Apple a run, particularly if it's going to be, you know, get one for, um, you know, the carrier price. And, you know, if you're buying new and you're, you know, creating new service, get a second one for a penny, which becomes a huge um, differentiator for a lot of people in order to switch carriers. Carriers play that game. It really is a Apple Samsung world. Like these are pretty much the only I feel like they're just yes, we have the Google Pixel. I mean, if for those of us uh, you know, really into Android, I mean, we know about sort of the other brands, but it really is it really is Apple and Samsung. So I'm excited for the note and I really I really <laughs> yeah. like that you brought up the Apple Pencil working on on the iPhone like I didn't even think of that. It's it's kind of a bummer because the S Pen doesn't work on the Galaxy S8 and I mean, it's kind of a small screen really comparatively, but it'd be kind of cool <laughs> to have that ability. <laughs> I don't think you might want it on a 7. The 7 yeah. might be a little bit too small for it to make sense. But the plus. plus. the added cost. You give me a plus with an Apple, like I said, pencil or pencil stub or whatever marketing name that, you know, people have come up with after hours of deliberating. Um, and, you know, it, it just becomes something that you say, why not? There's a notes application there that serves almost no purpose. Um, and if you could tap that in to that, that would be great. Developers of some of the programs like, you know, um, paper would absolutely love to see that type of support on their iPhone application because it gives people one more reason. And I know I could see this as another reason to justify pencil, um, just for, you know, utility use, just for marking up or signing PDFs and things. Um, but people I know who actually use this for like actual sketch work are saying, yep. I would love this, um, yep. because I could just whip it out and, you know, I, I have an idea or, or sketch something out and then, um, bring it over to a larger iPad, um, when I do significantly more work. So I, I don't know if it's coming in the fall, but I, Again, this is one of the things I'm almost certain um, has been floating around in terms of hardware, whether it'll make it here or not. Um, But I would say this is actually a pretty good time for Apple to introduce this, particularly as you think about it's harder to justify the 7 Plus beyond size. I mean, we saw it with the camera this year, um, you know, how Apple will differentiate that device you know, going forward. Well, to me, this is sort of a easy way. It's a no brainer. And again, you have a bunch of people in marketing going, okay, how do we get over the fact that, you know, Steve said X, Y, and Z. Um, Although I'll tell you an anecdote, um, if you don't mind quickly, when the iPod video came out, and if you recall that Apple had totally dissed the idea of video on a small device, um, 
and even like the larger media center, um, you know, handhelds. And he said, no one wants to watch video on a small screen. Um, music is high fidelity. It's, it's, you know, concert quality. Um, you want to listen to the same song like thousands of times. Absolutely no one would ever want this. It's like the dumbest feature in the world. And then, of course, Elaine came, you know, iPod video. And I had a little sit down with Steve and I asked him about that. And he kind of gave me this look and he kind of shrugged, smiled and said, yeah, next question. <laughs> it was sort of like, you know, if my competitors are listening to what I say from a marketing perspective and they're building along those lines, well, you know, shame on them. <laughs> I have it's great flow that you mentioned the uh, Apple and Samsung because I was literally about to say. Obviously, I mean, the bulk of the, the, almost all the profit, perhaps all the profit in the smartphone market is Apple and Samsung at this point. They they seem to be they're the giants. They're playing the game. There are other players, but these two are the ones to watch Th- these. You know, it's not even Apple versus Android. It really is like Samsung and Apple yeah. are the giants uh, in the playground. Yep. Yep. And uh, and they they're rolling out their products, which is always fun. We uh, there's a more related to this to talk about, but let me take a break and tell you about our other sponsor this week. It's Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today by going to pingdom.com slash relay FM. You'll get a 14 day free trial. And when you enter offer code download, when you check out, you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a site. They do this by offering powerful and very easy to use tools and services. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. Pingdom takes care of this by using more than 70 global test servers. They emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. These days, websites are becoming more and more sophisticated. They very often include several different dependencies, such just contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, loads more. They may be in all sorts of different services on different servers. Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all of your interactions that your customers will have with your site. It's not just about is the site up. It's more complicated. Stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects about 13 million outages, 400,000 outages every single day noticed by Pingdom, regardless of whether you have a small website or a complete complex infrastructure it's very important to monitor its availability and its performance all pingdom needs is the url you need to monitor that's it it uh, pingdom will take care of the rest when it detects an outage you'll be immediately alerted so you can get people to fix the error before the downtime affects your business don't get caught out when someone wants to access your site you need pingdom check it out today and you'll be the first to know when your site goes down so go to pingdom.com slash relay fm for a 14-day free trial and use the code download at checkout to get a massive 30 percent off your first invoice thank you to pingdom for the support of this show and all of relay FM. Now, before we get back to talking about phones and tablets and pens and all sorts of other stuff, um, a story you might have missed that I like to mention, something that may have flown under the radar, and you should pay attention to that weird bus thing that was shooting through a tube in the Nevada desert this week, <laughs> because the first Hyperloop was tested out in Nevada this week. Or for, it, it's, uh, you know, Elon Musk's idea, and then he's like, everybody else take care of it. I'm busy with other stuff. You get a tube, you take the air out of it, you put a train inside of it so fast that you could start to use maglev, which is very popular in parts of the world, but not in the United States. And boom, you've got this thing that's very much like those Micronauts rocket tubes that I had when I was eight years old. Uh, now we've got video. We can see it going. It was pretty cool looking. We also could hear what it sounds like. It's kind of creepy, although anybody, Flo knows this, anybody who's written BART has heard 
that sound. It's that ooh, <laughs> ghostly sound yeah. uh, that you hear in a BART tunnel as the, uh, you know, and there's a little air and there's movement and all that. You have to wear earplugs. <laughs> yeah. So it's going to, it's a tube, uh, it's a thing in a tube going 200 miles an hour. Maybe it'll have people in it. Maybe it won't. Good luck. Hyperloop. Anyway, that's something you might've missed. Um, corp, corp, corporate results season is going on now and it's funny we were talking about tablets and things um and and uh, or we were talking about phones and things and then a, a sort of obliquely tablets the ipad results uh from apple this week were actually the first time a- uh, ipad sales have gone up in <laughs> have grown year over year in more than three years uh i i think it's interesting we're talking about the s pen and the apple pencil and the idea of of maybe putting the apple pencil on a uh on an iphone Plus, or on this, whatever this new iPhone is, uh, really interesting because the first thought that occurred to me was, well, people who make apps that use the pencil will love it because, you know, Apple sells way more iPhone Pluses <laughs> than they do iPad Pros, way more. And the because the iPhone has all the volume. So I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, Michael, what, what do you, what's your read on the iPad sales turnaround? Is this a, a bump? Is it, is it, uh, finally stabilizing where where does the ipad go from here well uh, uh, this was sort of my take when i saw it and again i could tell you my time at apple ipad drove everyone crazy um I said, why can't we sell this thing? And if you remember, we had these great U-verse ads with, you know, Robin Williams and, um, you know, people then thought they were too esoteric. And then there was the iPad Pro. It's, you know, the future of computing and that didn't work. And I guess it turns out the way you sell iPads is you knock the price way down <laughs> off a pretty functional device. Um, you know, uh, y- your base iPad right now is sort of less functional in many ways than the iPad Air 2 that it replaced. Um, but I think that is the one that people said, you know, this tablet thing could be interesting, um, even if it's just for content consumption, not necessarily creation. Um, and, and it's part of the Apple ecosystem. And at that price point, yeah, we can buy into that. And I think that we're going to see um, a pretty good, you know, jump in iPad sales going in the fall. But I think it's mostly going to be on this device um, that they've hit the sweet spot. And, you know, the, the challenge going forward is going to be people hold on to iPads a little bit longer than they do phones. Um, you know, where does that go from here? But I think Apple would be really happy to, you know, show a holiday quarter with some really significant bumps an iPad, particularly some more marketing around it. And it's a very unusual product um, for two things. One, Apple finally got the iPad naming under control, which for a long time was just absurd. And that actually has to do with the crazy Steve Jobs story that I'll say for another time. <laughs> now they're all now. Now, uh, in, in one model of iPads, Steve just decided to change everything at the last second and boxes had to be reprinted and, and the whole thing. And it totally threw everything off um, short version. But um, now we have one final thing just called iPad and iPad Pro. Um, easier to figure out what's what. And that price point, I think people who might have been sitting on the fence and saying, this thing is just a little too expensive. Um, and you know they've been now listening to the commercials and they're saying, maybe I want one. Um, and all of a sudden you hit that price point and they were able to do it by cutting out things that, uh, you know, probably weren't that important to most people. And I think that's where this stuff came from. I don't think we're seeing more, you know, iPads Pro being sold because of the 10-inch device um, or even the 9.7 Pro device. I think a lot of this came from, wow, 
I can finally afford one of these things. And I'm not in a phone refresh cycle. So I'm not actually buying a new phone right now. So I think this was a really, really good move. And it turns out the way you sell iPads is you just price them cheaper. And they, they said on the on the call, too, that the education market was big for them this quarter. I think Tim said uh, a million iPads sold to education. And they, they got this cheaper iPad, which I think is just two ninety nine if you're an educational institution. They got that out the door in time for that buying cycle as well. So I think a lot of things aligned for the iPad to make the jump this quarter. And you can see the average right. selling price went down uh, substantially. Right. And that's a sign that, that the growth here was happening with the with that nameless just iPad, fifth generation iPad for the low price. That's definitely driving a lot. Even though there were new iPad Pros, the, it was those low cost iPads that really were flying out the door, which is good. And remember, those... I'm saying at those price points, it's now become something that education markets will look at relative to Chromebooks, um, whereas an iPad beforehand, it wasn't even close um, for anyone to consider that for education use. So, you know, if Apple starts revamping their education efforts after that sort of, you know, California school debacle, um, there's some good opportunities there, particularly um, you know, once you get to a device like this, you can keep driving the prices down. And Apple may just continue to drive those prices down for education. And it would not surprise me if we suddenly started seeing like, you know, a 249 education price or even a 229 education price. Or at some point in the near future, you know, for a fairly stripped down one, a 129 or 199 device where Apple can really say, look, for 199, you can get an iPad or you can get one of these like, you know, mediocre and low-end, you know, Chromebooks. So education is going to be a big push. Keep an eye on that. And also keep an eye on corporate sales ever since Apple did that deal with IBM where IBM has taken over their, um, right, corporate sales to, um, you know, uh, businesses focusing on iPad that may start uh, to kick in a little bit. So I think... um, iPad finally has a uh, a bright future. And of course, if you can sell a lot of the low-end stuff, that can subsidize the idea of doing even more high-end stuff going forward You know, for the pro market. So um, yeah, it was surprising, I have to say. I think everyone was sort of expecting another, how is Tim going to dance around the fact that iPads still aren't selling? I... I have to say, every time there's an Apple earnings call, uh, particularly about d- how well do its devices have sold and we hear about all the sales numbers of iPads, the collective Android world just goes, well, is anybody surprised? Um, it's a bummer that there were no, there aren't really any Android tablets that have significantly taken off compared to the iPad, but I think that just speaks to the testament of the product and the fact that the iPad just seems to satiate a little better than the Android tablets that and we haven't really I mean nobody's really launched like a phenomenal Android tablet that you know well and Amazon has sort of scraped away the low end that's right? also true that's also true Amazon has completely scraped away the low end um yeah, I was going to ask you. It's, yeah. it's amazing that you brought this up because you were literally saying what I was going to ask you, which is, <laughs> which is, is this, you know, with Android tablets not really taking the world by storm, is it 
is it uh, why why is that is it that the tablet market just isn't all of that and it's only apple's kind of power and ecosystem that allows the ipad to exist or is it that google is just not that i mean google's obviously building chromebooks too is it that google is not super excited and the hardware manufacturers aren't really excited about tablets versus just building chromebooks this is all completely my own conjecture but i i really think that google just is all in with the chrome os ecosystem you know it's not you know, admittedly, the hardware isn't as nice as the iPad, but I I love my little Chromebook. Um, I have the good, I have a cheapy little Asus Chromebook Flip, and it's got its issues that I don't like. But there are some days that it's the only laptop that I use, and uh, and I've got a, a Mac and a Windows machine ready here for me to use. Uh, I like the relative simpleness of it. I like the fact that I can flip it over into a tablet, and uh, I love that I have beta Android app access now. So. It's become my sort of, uh, it's actually become kind of my portal for the stuff in my house. So, you know, I just have like all the Android apps on there. So I don't have to have everything crowding up my phone. Uh, and you know, for the educational market, there's so many different apps, but I also think that we're going to see this expand a little bit beyond just, you know, the device with the keyboard hooked up to it. Uh, I think Google, I mean, you guys know, Google's doing a lot in education. Now we've got all this augmented reality stuff coming up. Uh, so I think it's, I think to answer your first question, tablets, I think Apple just kind of hit the nail on the head the minute it came out. People really like the form factor of the iPad. People, people really like the form factor of the iPad mini. They found out that, you know, it's okay to buy these things a couple of generations later. They're still going to work. So people are getting like these high-end devices for maybe a little cheaper after a couple of years. You don't have to buy a $50 tablet if you don't want to. You don't have to be stuck with that. Uh, you can have something relatively high-end. Um, and also, I think that, yeah, it's just not really... I think education's a big thing for Google, but I I don't think I don't think tablets are really. I mean, even the even the S Pen on the Tab S three. I'm going to tell you, it's it's not as fluid as what I remember with the iPad mm-hmm. and the stylus. I wish. Um, I, I mean, I like Chromebooks. My daughter has a Chromebook, and I I like the, but I love the iPad. Uh, design and I have I keep trying to imagine like something that is a fusion which I think they're doing right well, uh, on the Google side of Chromebook and Android into something that is uh, like a essentially like a convertible and I like that could be cool yeah. if I could have it as a tablet and running Android apps and all of that and pop it into a keyboard and have it be you know more laptopy I think that that could be a really nice platform but right now it's just like not all the pieces are there and I think the will maybe isn't there. I don't know. Yeah, oh my and the God. apps, oh my. the apps too. Um, I told you web development, the Chrome OS, and like oh, I've, yeah, I've, yeah. I've been using Code Anywhere, which is great. But like when it comes to FTP, there's no good FTP client on Chrome OS. Like, how am I supposed to get my files up there? You know, people talk about <laughs> no apps on the iPad, and they're like, "Oh, iPad apps. There need to be better iPad apps." Just like then, I try to use a Chromebook, and I'm like, "Oh my God, there are like literally no apps." There are some web apps, and there some of them are good, but it's like it's a yeah. problem. It's like where where you. In computing on iOS and on Chrome OS, where you hit a wall and you're like, oh, no, I can't do this. I just guess I better go get my computer. (laughs) Well, remember, Chromebooks have an emphasis on Google Docs as the killer application. And it was about collaboration. It took Apple forever to get collaborative features into um, iWork. And, you know, that was really the driver being able to use that offline. And of course, Gmail, everything else was gravy. Um, on the other hand, Jason, you just suggested that 
Uh, Chromebook should be a toaster fridge, and we all know about those. Huh. But the biggest issue with um, you know Android tablets is remember these were Apple wasn't dismissive. Remember Apple built a mini device, and that was entirely in response to seven inch Android tablets. That's true. That's um, true. That was, and it was a direct response. It wasn't something Apple wanted to build. It was, it, you know, people were taking, you know, kicking and screaming into that. Um, so there and was a fear. they got what fear. they wanted. They got what they yep. wanted. <laughs> right. There was a fear. The bigger issue was, I mean, there's sort of two things. One is the Android team under Andy Rubin um, used to have a separate group from the Chromebook team, which is run by Sundar, who is now like, you know, king of the universe. Yep. And there was a lot of conflict between those two things because Andy Rubin wanted Android everywhere. And the other team said, no, um, that's not what we want. And that kind of held things back. The other was Google's insistence that developers simply write one application that would scale. And I think that's been the other issues. Applications don't scale. There's nothing worse than using a phone application on an Android tablet. It becomes frustrating. It's so, it's, it's, it's really oh, yeah. weird on the, on Chrome right. OS, uh, with Android apps. But I mean, to your point, that's also why I don't really carry around an Android tablet as my main. Uh, computing machine only when I need to take notes because I know that it's it's fine for notes uh, but anything else it's like if the app isn't made for the tablet interface then it's just right. it's not going to work or I can't even download it from the Play Store and at least like fake it uh, which limits my availability so it's yeah Apple hit it on the head okay I'm going to say it <laughs> and, and also I have to Google credit um, because with Android N, they do have a split screen mode. And if you're in that split screen mode, two phone apps side by side, which happens the same way on a 9.7 inch iPad, it becomes a lot more usable. The problem is at this point, the ship has sailed. I mean, I've been using a Google yeah. Pixel, whatever they're calling it. And it really is a great tablet. It's, it's good hardware. It's solid. Ah, uh, the um, Pixel C. Yeah, Pixel C, it feels like something significant. Um, and when you're running it with Android N, it becomes far more um, useful because you can get that split screen mode that makes it work even with a lack of applications. But it, it just may be too little, too late, um, especially with this emphasis on Chrome OS. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot more um, tablets. And, you know, everything got refreshed, but the Pixel C... Yeah. didn't hmm. that may be a product that's sort of nearing the end of its life and well and samsung waited two years to upgrade to refresh the tab s in fact i went to costco recently you know in your biannual costco run as you do <laughs> and i saw there was a display still for the tab s2 up there and it was still selling for around 300 something dollars for a bundle uh and i think that's another thing too is why would somebody spend 700 dollars on a tab s3 and the whole kit and caboodle because you have to buy the keyboard separately the keyboard folio um when you can get a used iPad for a fraction of the cost off eBay. And, and how much is the Amazon, you know, FirePad? Because that's the market that Apple never wanted to play I in. The very low, the, the low end <laughs> devices, 
content consumption. I, I think you can get a five pack for eighty dollars, like just a six. No, you, right. yeah, six pack. The, yeah, you're right. They're just all, uh, you know, they got the little plastic rings. You peel one off, use it for a while, toss it in yes, the bin. Yes, every every little every color too. So you have a color for right. you know. Every I'm season. feeling blue tablet but, today. Yeah, but I know yeah, people. I know people who love it because it's sort of their color Kindle. Yeah, um, it's perfect for watching Amazon, you know, videos. It's perfect for running things like you know Spotify. Yeah. It's utterly about like you know five content consumption apps if they give it to their kid to play you know a candy crush and the kid uh, you know has it run over by a bicycle no one really cares about it so right i think amazon has really taken the low-end market and then if you get into the low low-end market you know like you know the real cheapo asian tablets um you know you you do see android having a significant tablet market share but it's a tablet market share that no one cares about um with the exception of of amazon it's the freebie tablet you get when you buy your phone and i think a lot of those are actually like samsung and lg tablets so it's it's like a trickle down experience of what you get with the premium uh but you're right i mean why yeah it's not gonna be long that with your prime subscription um when you renew it um you're gonna get a free get a tablet fire um and you know fires are the gift that keeps giving to jeff bezos because they're really optimized for amazon shopping and buying amazon stuff so it's a fairly brilliant move on their part um to keep that going at you know the really low end of the market it Remember, initially they thought this was going to be a real iPad competitor. Um, they, Snort. they quick, yeah. yeah, they 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 kind of quickly wised up about that. Um, <sighs> so, and if it was anywhere else other than Amazon, it would be irrelevant. But because it's Amazon, and because of their reach, and because um, you know, every time you you open up Amazon's app or you log in, you know, there, there is somewhere, you know, two things: one, an Alexa or Echo, or a you know, buy a fire. You know, it's funny. I'm a Kindle user from the second generation. I, I, I bought the first generation and sent it back but because it was really bad. But the second generation was good and I kept it. Um, and I've had Kindles ever since. I always thought that they would get to the point where they'd be like, look, we'll just send you a Kindle if you're a Prime member and you can have it. And what what's yeah. funny is Amazon realized people who use the Kindle really like it and will pay for it. And so they're never going to not. And in fact, they've started to build more expensive, nicer Kindles because they know that's a market that they actually their people are motivated to give them money for quality whereas the tablet market it turns out i probably counterintuitively like they probably thought the reverse would happen the tablet market has been one the one where it's like can we make a cheap tablet for 50 bucks great let's do it and we'll discount it to prime members for 30 bucks let's do it and so it's funny that the kindle black and white plain text you still have to pay for and they sell like a 300 dollars kindle and then you know they're practically giving away the fire tablets it's weird i I confess that I bought a Kindle Oasis. Oh, I do too. I have um, one. Yeah. Even though, even though a Paperwhite could have, you know, done most of it, and the other one that came between the Paperwhite and the Oasis, the Voyage, um, yeah. the Voyage that that would have worked as well. But no, I got the Oasis because I spend a lot of time reading, um, and I happen to just love the experience for reading, reading in bed, just. It's a no-brainer. So yeah, it is a little surprising that they can sell something like the Oasis at a fairly high price point and sell quite a bit of them um, for this stupid little black and white device. And you know, it's still funny since 
since the first day of Kindle, there's still that experimental browser in there. I, I just noticed it's it totally again. experimental. <laughs> yeah, Snored. the experiment continues. The, the experiment <laughs> continues, and uh, you know, if you've ever tried to use it, you really see why it is an experiment. Um, but no, it has gotten better. Um, the displays have gotten fantastic. I mean, uh, someone said the displays on on your Kindles now um, are actually better. Um, than your display in a book, which I found to be pretty amazing, but it turns out that that's actually true. So, and I carry like, you know, 700 books. And this is a person that, you know, would never get on an airplane unless I was carrying four books totally. with me because heaven forbid I, I should run out of something to read. And now it's like, okay, I have a choice of like 700 books and pretty much every book I've ever owned in my entire life is here and any new book um, I can pre-order and it's automatically going to show up. I don't even have to worry about like, you know, delivery or going to the bookstore. So yeah, big Kindle fan. And I guess Kindles remain one of those weird tech anomalies, uh, you know, sort of like the TiVo paradox. If you have one, you love it. And if you read, you love it. And you know, that's another Steve Jobsism that no one reads books anymore. Um, if you do read books, y- you want a Kindle. Yeah. And Amazon knows it. And they know that the, that's a different market than the traditional tech buying market. And they know that those people are willing to pay. And if you go on vacation, it's summertime here in the Northern Hemisphere, you go on vacation by like poolside, uh, you'll see some tablets and you'll see some phones. But there are so many Kindles because those are the people who buy Kindles is people who are reading books, sitting poolside and things like that. That's what... That's what it's for. Um, we are out of time, but I want to, before we go, tell you what about what to look for in the week ahead. Um, not a lot going on. Uh, Snap is going to have their corporate results. Uh, that should be fun. Snore. Get ready snore. for that. Snore. Yeah. Snore. Oh, snore. There will be, snore. the knives will be out for Snap, let me tell you. Uh, also, maybe more stuff will leak from HBO because HBO got hacked this week. And maybe a Game of Thrones episode will come out before. Uh... Can I say yay? I shouldn't say yay. I'm not saying yay. <laughs> All right. This brings us to the end of this edition of Download. Michael Gartenberg, where can people find you and the stuff that you do? You can find me on Twitter at Gartenberg. And you can also find me at a uh, monthly com that I do for the folks at iMore. Awesome. And Flo, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, all over the internet. Uh, right now, you can visit me at florenceion.com or see me on Twitter and, yes, Snapchat at oh, that flow. Uh And you can read me twice weekly at Android Central. Awesome. And thank you to my producer, Mr. Stephen Hackett, as always. It's a, it's a pleasure every week, Jason. And until next week, we're going to watch those headlines so you don't have to. I'm Jason Snell. See you next week. Bye, everybody.